0: You wouldn't send a soldier out without basic information about their weapons and how to use them. And we should be doing the same for the information space.
1: Hi, I'm Captain Adam Morton with the Canadian Army Podcast. For thousands of years, armies have fought toe-to-toe on the battlefield, but it's easy to forget that information warfare is a part of that fight that's been happening since the beginning of time. Now, with the advent of the internet, geography plays less of a role than ever in terms of separating soldiers from their enemies in conflict. Here with us to talk about disinformation is Dr. Megan Fitzpatrick. Hi, Adam. And Dr. Dominique Laferriere. Hi, Adam. Who are social scientists that work with the Canadian Armed Forces and have done quite a bit of research on the topic. All right, let's get into it. So we weren't talking about disinformation as much in the public sphere like 10 to 15 years ago, but we're definitely talking about it now. Dr. Fitzpatrick, why is that?
0: I think that's because... The way that we live our lives now is almost fully online, or at least a great portion of our lives is online. And that's a space that is particularly prone to disinformation.
1: Why? Why is it prone to disinformation?
0: It's a space that doesn't have very many gatekeepers. So in past, our news was really filtered in a way. So whether that's a newspaper or a formal newscast, whereas online, everyone can be both a consumer and a producer of information. So it's a much busier information environment than what we're used to. And we can get information immediately. So in the past, you'd have to wait for information to travel to you, uh, whether that was by radio, newspaper, whatever it might be. And because of that, it took some time. There was a delay. Now there's no delay. And I think, Dominique, if you have anything to add to that. The one thing I would add, and I'm
2: sure we'll get back to it later, is that People are not necessarily well equipped to handle that much information, which ultimately allows the information to spread more rapidly and to be shared. You know, within networks of trusted individuals, um, within you know networks of friends and family. So that facilitates the spread of this information even more.
1: By people being not well equipped, do you mean like humans just constantly being bombarded with? unlimited amounts of information on a daily basis?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much what I mean. And people being (laughs) bombarded with information and not necessarily being able to disentangle highly credible and reliable information from information that's, that's not credible or reliable.
1: So most people, probably in their minds at least, have a general idea of what they think disinformation is. But when you think disinformation, how is that different than maybe the average person thinks what that is?
0: I think the way that we've defined it is very simply. So it's a deception technique that uses false information to deceive and to mislead. So it's spreading false information on purpose for a purpose. And I think the main thing that people usually get mixed up is between mis- and disinformation. So misinformation is not spread on purpose. People are spreading false information without actually knowing that they're consuming false information, whereas those who are creating and then spreading disinformation are doing it for a purpose.
1: While looking at it, where do you see the common offenders in terms of spreading intentional disinformation?
0: Well, this is a pretty busy space. I think some of the (laughs) bigger offenders are state actors. And Russia is a well-known example of a country that spreads disinformation. I think one example that listeners may be familiar with is the 2016 U.S. presidential election and the Russian disinformation campaign that was run during that uh, particular campaign. And they spread disinformation really to polarize both sides of the political electorate. It wasn't so much about supporting a particular candidate or achieving a particular aim. It was more so to divide the entire electorate by spreading divisive and false content online.
1: Dr. Lafayette, how is this a threat to Canadian soldiers or military members right now?
0: I think
2: the best way to answer your question is to start with some Example of disinformation campaigns that have either targeted the calf, so portrayed the calf in a false way, or that have targeted the CAF as an audience of that disinformation. So I know that, Megan, you've worked on this quite a bit because we've worked together on this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as many people know, Canada is a member of NATO's enhanced forward presence. And starting in 2017, when the task force arrived in Latvia, a major Russian news program falsely claimed that the commander of the task force was a convicted murderer. And they aired photos of an individual in women's underwear, and they used that to then characterize the task force as the, quote, gay battle group to play on anti-LGBTQ sentiment in the region. And since then, there have been a lot of stories that play up false narratives about the calf soldiers that are there. So, for instance, that they are somehow living in luxury accommodation paid for by Latvian taxpayers. I'm sure they probably are not doing so. In fact, I would imagine their accommodation might leave something to be desired occasionally.
1: My military experience suggests that it was not luxurious. Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) And there's also comparable examples. So, British troops in neighboring areas that have been accused of desecrating national memorials, of openly defying police... And all of the battle groups have been accused of spreading COVID-19 during military exercises. So they have certainly been a subject for disinformation, and that's often to undermine the reputation of the targeted force as well as to play up tensions or any possible tensions with them and the local population. But of course, disinformation is not just something that happens when you're on deployment. This is also something that happens at home. And Dominique can certainly speak to a study that was done looking at exactly this.
2: Yeah. So in 2017, there was a study conducted by Vietnam Veterans of America. And what they discovered is that there were a lot of fake Facebook pages that had been created to entice the veteran community to bring everyone together online and they were basically using existing images and information shared by true profiles and repurposing it. So at first they would, you know, lure people in to their pages and attract them to follow their pages with this very positive messaging, but then ultimately they started um, sharing divisive information. And, you know, the goal of this was to create tension between veterans and the military population and the civilian population. Uh, So that's a good example, I think, of how military members can be the target of a disinformation campaign in the sense that they're being falsely portrayed. Whereas in this case, military members and veterans are... The target audience of a disinformation campaign to sow more discord in the military population and in the population in general. So I guess these two examples kind of suggest that the threats are threats to operational security and operational effectiveness, like the example that Megan gave, right? Uh, And the example that I gave is basically potentially decreasing trust among military and veteran populations and, and sowing discord within the population and between military and civilian populations as well.
0: Yeah, and I would just add that we have to remember that the military is going to be an attractive target for adversaries. Western armed forces are increasingly diverse, and that is a strength, but it does mean that adversaries are going to look for those weaknesses and vulnerabilities and points of contention between different groups, and they will try to exploit them whether or not you're on deployment or you're at home going back to, you know, the issue of threats,
2: I think one of the threats that we do have to think about is threats to national security and public safety. And one of the things that we do have to think about and remember is that CAF members do have access to weapons, they are trained, uh, they have access to classified information. So if people domestically fall prey to disinformation. And even worse, you know, you start getting into conspiracy theory uh, and conspiracy theory territory, you can get into some more troublesome or some more nefarious acts. You can think about the January 6th storming of the U.S. Capitol, which is one of the examples of um, military members who Adhere to disinformation and conspiracy theories that led to a quite grave uh, consequence. There are also Canadian examples. So, for example, in 2020, there was a Canadian ranger who drove a truck through the gates of Rideau Hall, and he was found in possession of firearms. And the court later determined that his actions were politically motivated and that he intended to intimidate the government of Canada. And what was also found later is that this person was consuming uh, disinformation and a certain number of conspiracy theories as well. So these are some of the more local threats that could result from disinformation and uh, conspiracy theories.
1: So you talk about things like decreasing trust. And if I think like, you know, especially in warfare, kinetic operations, bullets, bombs, stuff like that, doing battle damage assessment on that, it's very easy to see the results. Like it's very clear, like a building has been destroyed or like the effect is is immediately obvious. But in kind of the information plane maybe not so much. What has been the impact and how do you assess that impact?
0: Yeah, I would say that this is a a very challenging area and militaries around the world are trying to develop collateral effects measures or collateral effects estimation on par with something like a, a battle damage assessment or I should say collateral damage estimation. But this is really difficult to do and I think everyone is struggling to get their arms around what is An immense problem.
1: So if we're struggling to measure that effects in a what I would call a defensive context, why are they doing it? And how do they by they I would guess I would mean the adversaries, how would the adversaries measure it in an offensive context?
0: I don't think they necessarily have to measure it. Adversaries have a variety of purposes for why they might be using disinformation. But going back to that 2016 U.S. presidential election, they didn't need to achieve a particular effect. It was simply to sow division. So if they can increase division, success has been achieved. So they don't really need to measure it so much as as just achieve a generalized effect.
1: You know this reminds me, I going throw back to the sniper podcast, which is, you know, this the sniper said, "I sow chaos on the battlefield." right exactly. And so chaos in of itself can be an effect that while not particularly harmful necessarily in the moment, definitely reduces coordination and just makes things more complicated in general,
0: absolutely. And I suppose another example would be in twenty fourteen when Russia annexes Crimea. For a period of time that was significant enough, people didn't know whether Russia was actually deployed in Crimea. It was rumors of little green men. They didn't really need to achieve that effect for very long. It just created enough confusion that it was hard for Western countries and for Ukraine itself to get organized and effectively respond.
1: And that effect could actually be measured but not in terms of information impact on people, but by the delayed response to an activity.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Hmm, that's actually really interesting, I never even thought of that. And maybe there.
2: one one element that I might add to what Megan just said is, you know, you asked why, why are they doing it if we can't measure the effects? And I think one of the reasons is that the costs are extremely low and um, there are techniques that can be used and put in place to generate a lot of information and disseminate it very rapidly. So think about bots, troll farms. So it's quite easy to disseminate that information, and the costs can be quite low.
1: Well, speaking of bots and things of that, you know, astroturfing and all, for those that don't know, astroturfing is having a large amount of accounts that spam this material in order to fill up a social media page or something like that while creating the appearance that's many individuals What kind of tactics or procedures are used to actually spread disinformation like in a willful manner?
0: I think there are a variety of tactics that we've already touched upon. So you have the instance of using social media platforms to spread disinformation. You could use bots and trolls on on those social media platforms as well. You could also use a tactic like deep fake videos. I think many people will have encountered deep fakes. So videos and audio that's been manipulated to give the appearance of something that the original video or audio did not. Uh, there are many examples out there and it's relatively easy and low cost, as Dominique alluded to, to do this. You all, all you need really is computer and some time.
2: If I can add to what Megan just said and going back to the examples that we gave also a little bit earlier. So some of the other techniques that increase the likelihood that an online campaign will go viral include things like um, impersonation. So we talked about how Fake Facebook accounts can be created using real information and real pictures from other users. So impersonation is one of the tactics. Um, playing on strong emotions, especially negative emotions like anger and fear, normally is a good way to ensure or enhance the virality not sure virality is a word here but let's just try it It is now (laughs) so uh the yeah the likelihood that a campaign will go viral basically so using negative emotion is one of them and also polarization but megan also um touched upon that and mentioned it already
0: Yeah, playing on those hot button issues that a society has. So it could be anything from race to religion to immigration. Whatever is the hot button issue of the day, they know that that is going to get a response.
1: How do you tell the difference between a troll who's just on the Internet for kicks, maybe just trying to get people riled up? And we've been talking mainly about coordinated state actors, like an active disinformation campaign. How do you tell the difference?
0: I think this is exactly what makes it so confusing is for the average person, I don't think it will be very easy to tell that difference because the information ecosystem online is heavily populated by both. And (laughs) an individual who has a malign intent can cause some damage as much possibly as a coordinated campaign. So it can be very difficult to tell the difference between the two unless you're actually actively looking for it.
1: So given that this is a thing that's pretty prevalent in social media and that we're obviously dealing with it, what are some things you can do to protect yourselves? Or even uh, in some cases, if you see people spreading that disinformation, how can you do something about it?
2: I think that's a good question, and it ties back to the work that Megan and I have been doing. And if you look at research and what practitioners are recommending, I think one of the best ways to prevent the spread of disinformation is to increase media literacy skills within populations. So media literacy essentially is... The ability of an individual to be able to locate credible information and to use that information for their specific outcome, whether it be be informed or know about a certain news story and so on. So basically being able to locate credible information. And there are specific skills or specific tips that can be taught to people to increase that media literacy. Megan, I don't know if you want to share a few
0: a few of those sure. tips. I think a good place to start is with a little model that's been developed by a researcher, Mike Caulfield, that's called SIFT. So it's stop, investigate, find, and trace. And it's essentially outlining the steps that somebody would need to take to be able to find credible information online. It's an incredibly useful way to think of this process because sometimes I think the process of finding credible information can be just as overwhelming as the information itself. There's also a lot of resources out there that have been developed by academics as well as uh, civil agencies, civic groups. So something like the Stanford History Education Group doesn't sound very flashy, but it does have (laughs) some great information on there about understanding media literacy and equipping yourself with the skills necessary. And it's freely available to anyone online.
1: I would say if it doesn't sound flashy, it's probably because it's, 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 you know, it's super (laughs) serious. serious. Yes, it is
0: very serious,
1: yeah.
0: Another thing that researchers do is lateral reading, so not staying on the website to figure out if it's legitimate. I think we've all seen a lot of flashy websites that look pretty professional and might give you the impression that they are a professional institution, but when you do a little digging, it is not in fact the case. So don't just stay on the webpage to figure out if it's legitimate.
1: Yeah, diversify your sources.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There are some other tools that can be
2: used that are quite popular these days. These are inoculation-based games. So from a psychological perspective, inoculation is basically the idea that you can inoculate people against harmful narratives by essentially preemptively telling them that they will be receiving some form of harmful narrative or information and giving them the tools to be protected against that information. Two of the games that I have in mind right now, one is called The Bad News Game and the other is Harmony Square, and both are available online. And essentially, you are playing the bad guy. In Harmony Square, you are the chief disinformation officer of a public square, and the goal is to get false information, so disinformation campaign, to spread as much as possible on social media. So you're essentially, as a player, you are on a social media platform and your goal is to spread this information as much as, as, much as possible. And in doing so, you are basically learning the tips and the tactics of disinformation, so some of which we've discussed. So impersonation, playing on strong emotions, polarization and trolling. So you're basically implementing and using those strategies and you're getting points when your campaign is going further and attracting more people. And you're essentially being quote unquote punished when you're following journalistic standards. So it's a little bit of a reversed mechanism, but as you're playing the game, you're really learning how disinformation creators and disseminators are crafting their campaigns and thinking about them to make them go viral. So basically you're learning the tactics and the idea is that by learning them when you encounter them online you will be better able to determine that this piece of information might be part of a bigger disinformation campaign.
1: Other than games what other resources are there for fact-checking things?
2: Well, there are fact-checking organizations uh, that have websites that you can visit and find more information. So what they do basically is they take news pieces and they assess their credibility and the extent to which the information they disseminate is true or not. And what's really neat about these organizations, or a lot of them, is that they take you through the steps that they took to determine whether the information was true or not. So you don't just have like a green check. Yes, this information is true, or you know, red X saying, no, this is false. You actually have the the logical step that we're taking to determine whether that information was true or not. And some of the best known fact checking resources are Snopes. uh, And there's also EU versus Disinfo, which specifically looks at Russian disinformation.
0: Yeah. And just to add to what Dominique was saying, EU versus disinfo is particularly good if you're looking to understand what's going over in Ukraine, uh, what's going Mm -hmm. on over there. It's a great place to look for those disinformation narratives and they break it down for you exactly how they found the sources to find out the truth behind it.
1: What are some of the things that we're doing to prevent disinformation from getting into, you know, basically the army, into the people that are working and trying to get things done?
0: Yeah, I would say that you can't really stop disinformation from entering the information ecosystem. It's just going to be there. That's how it's going to work. Uh, but you can work on prevention. And I think about it a bit like basic training. So you wouldn't send a soldier out without basic information about their weapons and how to use them. And we should be doing the same for the information space.
1: So we've looked at, let's say, just for simplicity's sake, or the past 10 years, You've definitely seen disinformation kind of kick into overdrive as a result of how social media played a role in our lives. What do you see coming over the horizon in kind of that information space, like five, 10 years down the road?
0: Well, this is hard to predict, but given the sophistication, the increasing sophistication of artificial intelligence, of machine learning, we are likely to see increasingly sophisticated disinformation techniques, perhaps disinformation that is more effectively targeted or tailored to whatever audience they're looking to reach. And, of course, videos, so things like the deep fake videos, are probably going to become more and more convincing.
1: You know, what you're saying about videos and deep fakes also is we, we've pretty much achieved consumer level deep fakes already. Like there's image generators where you can go online, upload your picture and boom, you're in the middle of a movie scene or something like that. So I can't imagine it would be that far off that, you know, it becomes very believable and I can see why that would be concerning.
0: No, absolutely. And especially when those videos are using well-known figures, because again, we're talking about trust and credibility, and it can be very difficult to maintain that if uh, it's easy to manipulate imagery as well as audio. That's the thing with these technologies is that they are not created for
2: nefarious purposes, right? There are a lot of positive outcomes, and that's their main intent, right? But they can, be, they can definitely be used with um, nefarious intent.
1: Yeah, like maybe I just want to put my face on Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando, you know? That's maybe you like just <laughs> want
0: to look like a cat on TikTok. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you learn anything here, don't trust everything you read. Check your primary sources and stay on top of it. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate everything.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for the invitation.
1: If you want to learn more about disinformation, take a look at some of the games and some of the resources that you can find in our show notes. I'm Captain Adam Morton for the Canadian Army Podcast. Morton out.